I didn't plan it that way, but I realized that it's directly lined up with these three phases. phrases. And they are, first, real God. See that on the green piece of paper? On the front page. It says, real God. God is alive. When we meet, he shows up. Well, he, he is everywhere, always, every place, because he's God is everywhere. He's omnipresent is the theological word. But Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send my spirit. And he said this, whenever two or three of you gather together in my name, there I will be right in the middle of you, right in the midst of you. And the reality is when Christians, people who have followed Jesus and have his spirit in them, come together, there's something uniquely powerful and presenceful where God in a sense, shows up. And one of the things that we felt is descriptive of us as a people and should be descriptive of us going forward always is that we anticipate that the very real God will in a very real way show up when we come together. We experience him speaking to us. We experience his presence. We experience him when we read his word. We experience him when we worship. We experience him when we talk to each other. We literally experience God and it's not some stale belief system. It's real life. Right? Real God. Um, when we were talking some weeks back, and at th- three different times I talked uh, on this topic, walking with Emmanuel. Remember that, anyone? We talked about the very real presence of God walking with us. What it's like to walk in life as if Jesus is standing next to you, because in a very real sense he is. That, those, those messages really were lined up with this concept, real God. Walking with Emmanuel. God is with you. The second one is, what does it say? Say it loudly like you're awake. Thank you. I heard that. Richard Snake or tell, yes. Real people. And what we wrote there to, to explain what we meant was, well, you can come as you are, but please don't go the way you came. Because we grow. We grow by getting real both with God and each other. Authenticity is very important. We grow by getting real with God and others in genuine, caring relationships. One of the reasons why we always emphasize, come on, get together in a small group. Do you want to grow or do you want to stay the way you are? If you want to stay the way you are, then don't get together in small groups. If you would like to grow, then get together and get authentic and get honest. We will love each other, but we will always be also be honest with each other about real issues as we grow in Christ. The last three times that I spoke with you, the topic was transformation. And in fact, that lines up directly with this phrase, real people. So we believe that we are to be a kind of people about a real God, expecting the presence of God very, very much so in our lives, ongoing, every day. Because we're walking with Emmanuel. Real people who are authentic with each other and growing together. Transformation. And the next phrase is more of an outward focus, restoring lives. Give it away. We freely share the truth, the love, and the power of Jesus to heal and restore broken lives. We are a people who've encountered God. We're growing together and discovered that in our hands, as it were, is the power of God. In our mouths is the word of God that can bring restoration to people whose lives are broken. If you hadn't noticed, there's a few broken people around you. Did, did you notice? Okay, so we are called... And we are identified as a people who help bring the restoring power of Jesus to people. And that's a focus outside of our own little lives where we're walking with Emmanuel. We're transforming, we're growing as real people. Now we're doing the reaching out kind of work of the love of Jesus. That's more focused on 
what I want to talk about today about the power of hunger and thirst. So do you see underneath that, it probably says something about a vision. A vision is a picture of a preferred future. What we see in the Bible has driven our vision of a preferred future, and that is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that people will have a revelation of who God is in the face of Jesus Christ. As they do, they will come to know God in all his goodness, all his glory, and as they know God through Jesus in all his goodness and glory, they are worshiping Jesus. So we have a vision of people everywhere worshiping Jesus, knowing Jesus. And then, just for completeness, the last phrase is our mission for accomplishing this vision. As we understand uh, Jesus' plan, he gathers people together. He calls that gathering, empowered by him, called to represent him. He calls that gathering the church. So we believe that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. His is the only mission we have. We join him in his mission of of building and gathering, growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Jesus, transformation, real people, real God. Equipped and empowered to do his work, restoring lives. Does that all make sense? So that is really good to think about occasionally. I want you to know I think about this constantly. All the time. Every time I'm speaking to you in my role as a pastor to equip the church for the works of service, for the works of Jesus' service on the planet today, I'm thinking of these kind of phrases. So... I was in a morning time of prayer and seeking the Lord. I suppose you all get up and spend time with the Lord in the morning. Maybe you open his word and you read and you pray and you listen. If you're not doing that, there's a reason why you're feeling cold. You need to want to change that and you'll find some new life. As I was doing that, suddenly this thought about hunger and thirst came rushing on me, and I felt like for me and for us, I was to talk about it for myself and for us. That's why we're having this talk now. And my question that came to me uh, in the morning had to do with what does it take to be a people who pursue, sometimes with a sense of urgency, God's call in our life, God's purpose for us, the fulfillment of his vision. Why do I say that I have a vision and a desire, a longing to see people, everyone, everywhere, worshiping Jesus, and yet I don't seem too concerned, actually, when people everywhere in every place are not worshiping Jesus? Why is it that I seem to actually not care? And I realize, oh, that's when I have no hunger, no thirst to see that happen. When someone has a hunger or a thirst to see something happen, they pursue it. I saw a meme about this that I'm hoping will come to me as soon as I open my mouth because I can't remember it. Commitment will get you... I can't say it right. Um, Commitment will get you going every day is basically what it says. Commitment will get up in the morning. But when you're hungry, you'll never stop working. Commitment will get you to work on time. But hunger will keep you working all the time. When someone is hunger, hungry for something, they don't give up till they get it. And I 
uh, opened up the internet and just was looking around and, and saw, oh, there's a new study um, that was put out in Neuroscience Journal, a new look, it's 2016 was when it was um, published, that came to the discovery in their work that the most motivational force in people, in living beings, is hunger. That it outweighs fear. You know how fear is a motivation to not. If you're hungry for something, literal appetite hunger, you will overcome your fear. Hunger is actually more powerful than social issues and the longing to be with people. Loneliness. Hunger will overcome the need to be socialized. You'd rather get food than be with people if you're hungry. Even though the need for being with people is a very real need in humanity. So just the thought of hunger is important. Um, there's a proverb in the book of Proverbs that says, the laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. In other words, someone may be inclined to be lazy, but unless they live in a place where people enable them to be lazy, I don't mean to go there, but um, it's a different topic. Unless they live in a place where people enable them to be lazy, their hunger will motivate them to get to work so they can get some food. And it's a good thing. So it's in the Bible, it's in nature, it's true in general. So those who hunger and thirst for God's kingdom will have their kingdom longings fulfilled. Those who are already satisfied about his kingdom already have their longings fulfilled. And they'll get what they have, which is nothing. How you doing? Did that, did that one feel like I just poked you with a knife? So I, I want to provoke us and pro exhort us to get hungry. You, I guess, do um, you remember a, a while back when I was talking about joy and kind of the line was contend for joy? that you actually have something to say about joy and it'd be wise to contend for joy. Today I'm going to say contend for hunger. Turns out that you and I have some ability to steer our hunger towards something. And when we do, we're going to probably get what we hunger for. So I'm going to say to you, contend for hunger. Contend for hunger about that which is eternal and important. Contend for hunger for the kingdom of God, for the things about God's work. This applies to everyone in this room. If you're in this room and you're not even a follower of Jesus, I'm going to tell you, get hungry for that which is important and you will be hungry for Jesus and your needs will be satisfied. One of the things about hunger and thirst and appetite is it points you to something so that your hunger and thirst will be satisfied. Not just so that you're hungry. God put it in you to be hungry so that you will pursue that which you need so that you're satisfied. If you hunger and thirst, Jesus said, after righteousness, you're blessed. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're blessed because you will be fulfilled. I think the corollary is implied. If you don't hunger and thirst after righteousness... You're not blessed because you won't get righteousness. Rightness with God. 
the right workings of God in your life. Here's another place that Jesus mentions the power of hunger and thirst. On the last and greatest day of the feast, I'm reading from John chapter 7, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty. So did you see the qualifier there? If anyone is thirsty. You might say that to yourself. If anyone is thirsty. If I'm thirsty. Am I thirsty? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. If you're thirsty and pursue Jesus, then you will be satisfied and your thirst will give you a drink that turns into streams of living water that will make you more thirsty, that will be more satisfied, that will result in more streams of living water, that will make you more thirsty, that will result in satisfaction of the streams of living water, both to meet your need and those around you. You see the importance of thirst. Just in the, in the natural, if I'm not hungry, something's wrong with me. If I'm not eating and I'm not hungry, I'm sick. And there's truth in that spiritually. If you're not eating, and you're not hungry, something's wrong. And if you never eat, guess what happens to you? You die. If you're not thirsty, but you should be because you haven't been drinking, and you don't get thirsty, and you don't drink, guess what happens to you? But you and I have the power within us to cultivate hunger and thirst. And you look like you're all awake, like you're listening, so you're interested. Revelation, the end of the Bible, goes like this. Jesus said to John, writing Revelation, it is finished, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Um, Alpha is the first letter. Omega is the last letter. I'm the A to the Z, is what that's saying. I'm the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give a drink. Apparently to him who is not thirsty, I won't give a drink because he won't ask for it. To him who is thirsty, I will give a drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And I'd like to read one more scripture to you, a, a poem from David, the guy who was called the man after God's own heart. This is what the language of a person who is in pursuit of God sounds like. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and lift up my hands in your name. My soul as a result will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. You hear in there both the pursuit and the hunger of God and the cultivation of hunger and thirst for God. You, listen, you can wake up tomorrow and have your brain remember what we just talked about to right now and go, you know what, I actually, I don't have any thirst or hunger for God. And you can stir yourself up by saying, God, you're my God. My soul 
thirst for you. In fact, I know it thirsts for you. I'm just not aware of it yet. So soul, get thirsty. And you'll find that something switches already immediately as you begin to stir the pot. Is that right, Michelle? You're like nodding your head. You've done this. You just experienced this. It's not exactly fake it till you make it. It's do it until you feel it, I guess. It's doing what you already have in your soul and you know, but it's like it's not awake yet, so I'm going to do it anyway. My soul hungers for you, God. I thirst for you. It's like I'm in a dry and weary land where there isn't even any water. So my lips will praise you. And as my lips praise you, the hunger and the thirst comes alive. And then I'm drinking as I'm getting hungry. Super important, guys. On um, Monday, after I left you last Sunday, was Sunday, last Sunday was so fun, by the way. Did you, do you remember? Just, you guys have had a busy week, like all of us. Last week, we were here, we were worshiping, and we were about ready to move on into the next thing, and the, your local programming, you know, whatever. Sharon said, should we wait? And we waited, all of a sudden, first Amber, who was sitting right there, had a vision and a word she shared about fish. Remember that? And she said, but Lord, I don't like fish, and Jesus was baking fish for her on the shore. And then she came and ate and it was delicious. There was, that was the first word. And then there was like five different prophetic words that just stirred us up into encouragement and love and hope and counsel and edification comfort. It was great. Wonderful time together. Well, after I left you, I got up early Monday morning at 3 a.m. and had to run to the airport to go to a conference in Chicago. You guys, you should love San Diego because it was seven degrees in Chicago. And you know, I don't know, I was barely ever outside, but when you, you get off the airplane, you know, there's the, what the what's the, the hallway thing called? The jet bridge, jet bridge, right? And there's like a little crack. Just this teeny crack, you know, you're like in a heated, air, heated airplane, you're getting into the hallway. This teeny crack had seven degree weather pouring at me, it was so cold. So, and it was, a, it was a, a meeting for Vineyard USA that I went to, and I got back on the plane Wednesday. I got up Wednesday morning, and I said, um, well, Lord, I'm flying home, and could you, would you give me an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody? And that's, I didn't have any faith for it, or much desire. How many of you want to fly, you don't want anyone to talk to you? Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking too. But, okay, what do we say? Real God, real people restoring lives. Let me pause there and put a different phrase. Holy hellos, remember that phrase? That's, holy hello is just a phrase we've been using to help remind all of us that whenever I say hello to someone, even a stranger, but even not a stranger, that hello might be pregnant with possibility because God, who's walking with me, Emmanuel, walking with Emmanuel, who's in me, might want to touch that person through me. So I'm encouraging everyone, including me, to every day look for an opportunity for a holy hello where we have a divine encounter. And it's so fun, the stories that come in. Uh, when we don't do that, it doesn't happen. When we do do that, it happens. 
today as you're walking around this week, as you're walking around, look for the holy hellos. So um, I like the aisle seat. I sat down. First guy came and said, can I sit by the window? I said, sure. He sat down. I sat down again. Another guy came in and said, could I sit in the middle of there? I said, sure. I said, then the guy by the window, what's your name? And then he made his fatal mistake. <laughs> he said, what do you do? Actually, I might have said, what do you do first? <laughs> and this could go either way, right? So he was a student on coming home for spring break. He's from um, San Diego, Encinitas, and he's been in school in Ohio. Uh, freshman year, studying biology, studying Greek, Greek language so he can read the Greek classics in Greek too. I'm already, I'm intrigued. This guy's interesting. But he says, what do you do? And now this, for me in my case, is either a door slam shut or <laughs> an interesting conversation. What do you do? Oh, well, I'm a pastor, but I went to UC San Diego and have a degree in computer science, I said too, because um, he, I think his sister's at a UC school. And, and so now he got interested. Um, Don tells me that he likes to go fishing. And the first lure he pulls out, is it the church lure? He, in a conversation with someone, mentions church and sees if that piques interest. And uh, the Bible would call that a man of peace kind of experience where someone wants to talk more. And now you're in a conversation. And then his next lure is the God lure, is that right? Yeah, see, he's a fisherman. And yet, you sometimes get to the Jesus lure, don't you? Hello, holy hellos. Wait a minute, are some of you in here followers of Jesus? Jesus has a command for you. I would like to reveal to you the will of God for your life right now. If you've been seeking the will of God, go therefore into all the earth and make disciples of all people. Now you know! Someone should have told you earlier. Okay. What do you do? I'm a pastor. I went to UC San Diego. I have a computer science degree. And in my case, that's, that works out well because that, that can be a, that's an interesting career path. How did you choose to become a pastor? So I'm like, oh, I'm so glad he asked me that. Because now I have a God talk. I won't do it now, but most of you have heard my story about the day that God called me and said, I'm calling you into ministry. And um, I told him that story in the presence of God. And something happened. See, do you think that God's at work in your life? Well, I'm glad you do and you do. Hello, everybody. God's at work in your life. You have someone called the Holy Spirit living in you who loves this world. For God so loved this world that he sent his one and only son to die for this world, that whoever would believe in him would have the life of eternity now, for the kingdom of God has come. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. He loves this world, and he's putting people in your path that he loves so that you will bring the love of God to them so that everyone everywhere will be a worshiper of Jesus. Okay, so... I'm th I didn't realize how loud I was talking to Adam next to me because Fernando was listening. <laughs> and he said, did you ever resist it? He was not in the conversation. He said, did you ever resist it? And I said, what? Did you ever resist the call? Because God's been calling me for 20 years and I keep resisting him. 
Bingo, right? So I said, actually, I never resisted it because it's, it's the greatest thing. Why are you resisting God? So I said, by the way, Fernando, at some point, do you think it's coincidence that I happen to sit here and you're sitting there and you've been resisting God who called you and God called me? And he was like, no. I said, there was a guy in the Bible that resisted the call of God, Jonah. How'd that work out for Jonah? You end up smelling like fish guts. To which Adam smiled. So I said, oh, you know that story, yeah. I said, well, a lot of people your age, uh, you have like some church experience? Because a lot of people have zero church experience. If you didn't know, a lot of teenagers, 20-somethings, know zero about Bible stories because they've had zero Bible instruction. Zero Bible reading. Zero, zero, zero. And in fact, he opened up a conversation about his scientific parents, who are both scientists, who raised him so that they could just decide for themselves and never told him nothing, never took him to church, never... So, but somehow he knew a couple of stories. And then he and I had the most engaging four-hour conversation while we flew from Chicago to San Diego. And... He was excited, and I was excited, and we were just like so fun. I, was, I learned all about his life and what he's studying, and his twin sister and what she's doing and her career, and we just, I just listened. I didn't preach at him. I listened to him, but I looked for opportunities. And do you think I was disappointed that I didn't get to sit by myself? And I was invigorated. When Jesus had experiences like this, he said, I have food to eat that you know not of. And my hunger grew. So, listen to this phrase. Though I say I long to see people everywhere worshiping Jesus, this is me talking, I become complacent in my efforts to make disciples when my appetite for God's blessings in this present age dulls my appetite for the fullness of God's kingdom. God has blessed me so abundantly. I have a great family. I live in a great home. I have great friends. I eat delicious food. I talk to you about relishing every moment to contend for joy, and I do that. Yesterday I got in the shower, and the water was hot and felt good on my skin, and I stopped a moment and enjoyed it and said, thank you, God, for this shower. In fact, I know there are people that don't have this, and I love this. It feels so good. Hot water. Oh, thank you. Have a good, have goodness, right? I'm very satisfied. Jesus told a story, a parable about the kingdom of God. He said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. That's God the Father who's invited you to know him and me. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who'd been invited. That's you and me. <laughs> Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Blessing of God that he had a field but it became more important than God himself. Another said, I just bought five oak of yoxen. I just bought a bunch of cars and vehicles and fun stuff. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, well, I just got married, so I can't come. Simple parable to say, you know what? The blessings of this present age might dull your appetite for God himself and the banquet that he set before you. Contend for hunger. 
Contend for hunger for the kingdom of God and the works of God and for helping people to become followers and lovers of Jesus. Contend for a hunger that you are just, just longing for a holy hello moment and that you, you're not comfortable, you're not satisfied, your appetite is not fulfilled until you get that. Contend for hunger. Enjoy your marriage, enjoy your five yoke of oxen, whatever that is to you. Enjoy the field that God has given you to buy. Enjoy your business, enjoy the house that you bought that you're building out and you're redoing the backyard. Enjoy it, love it, relish it, thank God for it. Enjoy your marriage, enjoy your children, enjoy that you get to go to school, enjoy that you have a great job, enjoy that you live in San Diego, enjoy it all and thank God for it and relish, but don't let that thing that you get to enjoy get in the way of the even more important things. God himself and the mission he has for your life because you will find it so much more fulfilling and you are created to hunger and thirst for that which God has created you to do and be. John Piper, in his book on fasting, writes this. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Wow. That's a heavy word, huh? Are you thinking about your life right now? I hope so. How can I develop hunger and thirst? Did someone say, well? <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, wow. So, you interested in some thoughts for how to develop hunger and thirst? You might know these. They're very natural. This is for me, and I'll let you in on what I want to pursue now, and then you can join me if you'd like. I'm not preaching to you as if I have anything altogether. I'm in the same seat as you. Know, first of all, that you can train your appetites. You are not a victim of your circumstances. If you think that you're just a victim like a log floating downstream in some river and you have no control, stop that stinking thinking. You have arms and can swim. You can go against the stream. You can point your appetites where you want them like a bow and an arrow toward a target. Here's some ways to do that. Here's the first one. Pray and keep praying for more hunger and thirst till you get it. Lord God, I want to confess to you that I'm not hungering and thirsting for you or your kingdom. I am eating junk food spiritually all the time. And so I'm not even hungry because I've got Netflix. And it seems to satisfy. And I have Facebook and it seems to satisfy. And I have sports that I play, and it seems to satisfy. Whatever you have. And say, Lord, I want to hunger and thirst for you. Jesus said, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. What a promise. I confidently tell anyone who seems like they're interested in finding God, and they may be far from Jesus, I tell them, you know what? I am confident you're going to find God, because Jesus said that if you seek and keep on seeking, and knock, and keep on knocking, and ask, and keep on asking, you will find what you're looking for. 
You're good because you have hunger. I'm more concerned about the person who is not knocking, asking, or seeking. So pray this way. He'll give it to you. Secondly, invest your time. Oh, I have a typo here where it says, your time in prayer for the thing for which you want my appetite to increase. I want that to say your appetite to increase. Invest your time in prayer for the very thing that you want your appetite to increase in. In this case, I want to be someone who is constantly helping someone become a follower and lover of Jesus. Hear that again, because that's memorizable. I want to help someone become a follower and lover of Jesus, because they will find life, and I'll find life in doing that, and Jesus will be glorified. So I pray, God, give me a hunger to help someone become a follower and lover of Jesus, and give me an opportunity to help someone become a... And guess what? I just had that opportunity, and it was marvelous. You know, we, this guy didn't know the Bible at all. He knows about Jesus, the Lamb of God, how it relates to Passover, because he watched the Prince of Egypt movie when he was a kid, and how Jesus fulfilled the Passover. He knows that now. He knows that Christians believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and he rose from the dead, and if we put our faith in him, he will wash away our sins, and he'll fill us with his spirit, and he'll begin to change us from the inside out. That 18-year-old kid knows all that right now, and he's wrote down that he's going to go read Mere Christianity, because he loves C.S. Lewis, and he's going to read Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis. And I have his email, and he has mine, and we're going to be talking next week. Because I prayed a simple prayer, Lord, help me to meet someone today that I can share something with. And I was very happy. <laughs> so we did one, pray that I'll have hunger. Two, pray specifically for the hunger that I'm pointing myself at. Three, delight yourself in the kingdom of God and relish every experience where the kingdom of God is breaking in. Do you know what I mean by that? You have a moment where you know that God broke into your life. You have a moment where you know whether you planned for it or not, whether you prayed for it or not, whether you had any role in it or not, God showed up in your life. Stop and go, wow, that was good. And think about it. And remember it. And play it over in your mind like I do when I take one of those chocolate truffles from Trader Joe's. You know they have that dusted chocolate. Have you had those? Oh, I can taste it now. I pull it out, I look at it. Mm. It's going to be good when it gets in my mouth. Put it, and I just take a little bite. I don't swallow it. I take a little bite. Can, I can taste it now. I lo- it's creamy. Love the way. You should go to Trader Joe's and buy it. I relish. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's good. And I take another bite. And I, oh. So good. I, eat I relish it. Do that with the breaking in of the kingdom of God. And you go, oh man, you spoke. And you know what? You spoke perfectly. And you said just the right thing with just the right setup. And I felt this inside my soul. Oh, thank you. And you know what happens? You get hungry for more. Tastes like more. Look at this, Psalm, 113, Psalm what is it, 113, 111? 111. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart and the counsel of the upright in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Oh, there's your key. Ponder by all who delight. Better than chocolate. 
Focus your attention on that very thing for which you want to develop more hunger and thirst. Invest your time, your talent, and your treasure, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want to have a heart for missions? Pull out your checkbook and start giving money to missions and watch where your heart goes. Start, in fact, give generously and sacrificially. Suddenly you'll be interested in what they're doing with the money that you gave them. And suddenly you'll be praying for them. Because where your treasure goes, your heart goes. You can steer your heart by putting your money where you'd like your heart to point. Seriously. You start buying stock in a company, you start paying attention to what that company's up to. You're curious what they're going to do. And then finally, last possibility. Amy, why don't you come up with the folks that are going to sing that song. Finally, you know what fasting is? It's not done a lot by a lot of people. Fasting is where you deny yourself of a legitimate appetite to focus your appetite somewhere else. Fasting is probably the most powerful one. What you fast is food, where you choose not to eat, and instead of eating, you spend your time doing something like praying and seeking God. And listen, when I fast, here's what I do. There's just a, just a clue for you how to do this. If you've never tried this, skip lunch tomorrow and see how this works for you. I hope for and wait for the hunger pain. When I fast, I want to get hungry. I really do, because it's not working for me if I'm not hungry. So I'm looking for that moment where suddenly I have more than a desire for food, but I have a pain in my stomach. You've had that when you haven't eaten? When that hits, I go, ah, now I've struck gold. Thank you, Lord, for this hunger, because I want to take this kind of hunger and point it toward you. I want to hunger for you more than I'm hungering for a hamburger right now. And it develops a hunger for the object that you're pointing it at. Fasting is probably our most powerful tool. And if you've never done it, you might try fasting food, you might try fasting social media, so that every time you would normally go to social media to get that hit of endorphins that you get every time you look at another post, which you do, by the way, that's why you do it. It's an addiction because it does something happy in your brain. If you didn't know that, that's how it works. Hits a pleasure button. So you fast from that thing, and instead of hitting that pleasure button, you say, Lord, I'm hungry for something right now, and I want to be hungry for you. Would you help me to be hungry for you the same way I'm hungry for this thing that I'm fasting from in order to choose you? Stir my appetites toward you. The result will be that you will point your hunger at the kingdom of God like a bow and an arrow. I did the wrong thing. That was a rifle. <laughs> I guess I'm like this. Okay, thank you. <laughs> What's wrong with this guy, Marty? like a bow and arrow, like a rifle. Let's stand up. You guys, contend for hunger. Contend for hunger for the Lord Himself. Contend for the hunger of the inbreaking of His kingdom in people's lives all around you. Talk about it with your friends. Ask your friends, are you hungry? Get together in our small groups and talk about it. Pray about it. Fast for it. Seek for it. If you didn't know, the world around us is in bad trouble. I said this last week. There's no problem in our culture 
that discipleship to Jesus wouldn't solve. There's not a single problem in our culture that discipleship to Jesus wouldn't solve. It's an amazing thought. We're called to make disciples. We're called to help people become followers and lovers of Jesus. The kind of people who look to him to learn from him and obey what he says. Ourselves and those that we're drawing to him.